0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. As I always say, Kill Rockstars is a proudly independent label. But what does it actually mean to be independent? Is it just saying what we're not, as in we're not a major label? Or is there a philosophy behind it? Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from MerchTable. Since 2002, MerchTable has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting MerchTable.com. On today's show, we hear a panel on understanding independence from the first annual IndieCon meeting in Adelaide, Australia. And we also talked to the head of the Independent Label Trade Association in the U.S., ...about who gets to define the term. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can
1: I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lift the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No, mind
0: your own business. Support for The Future of What comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to The Future of What. This is a panel that took place at IndyCon in Australia... The moderator is Matt Rogers from Unified, and the speakers are Meredith Sussex of Stolen Recordings, Chris Mond of Mushroom, myself, Guy Blackman of Chapter Music, and Seb Chase of MGM.
2: So I've only got two parts that I want to divide this conversation up into, the philosophical elements of independence and the practical elements of independence. My first question to each of the panelists, and I'd, I'd like you each to take a moment to speak on it, is talk about what independence means to you. I think this is a good place to start as uh, you each have a wealth of experience on the matter. I think at
3: a philosophical level I think it's got a lot to do with autonomy and the freedom to make decisions about your label so that your label has an identity and an identity that reflects the owners and the managers of that label who are making those decisions. To give an example on the mushroom group of labels we have a a label IOU, and if you have a look at IOUs, the bands on that label, if you look at the logo, if you look at the website, if you look at the social media posts, if you look at the parties they throw, you'll see an incredibly strong identity there, and that's because all the decisions about that label are being made by one guy, and if the Mushroom Group or any investor came along and wanted to have input or too much input into that decision making then I think the label would start to lose its identity because it would be losing its autonomy. So in essence I think it's about real autonomy.
4: I was really inspired by you speaking and I think co-creation was a really big thing for us. We formed the label to musicians like I was signed when I was 21 and then by an Australian label and then we got relocated to London and I met after the band split up, I met another musician and I met a painter. So we formed the label with two musicians and a painter. So what was vital to us was doing the best for the artist as artists ourselves, but also the visual identity was really strong. And it's almost like we took away all the heavy impediments to being a record label, because we could record, mix, and produce music in our, with our own equipment, and then we had an artist who would you know make us wrap things in parchment paper and seal things with an iron and you know all sorts of things like that. So when we signed our first band we wrote our manifesto, it didn't have a contract, we had like five lines of what we want to do. And the first line was to work together to record and release the best music we can. And then we, we always kept that as our focus, like whenever a difficult decision came to us, we would put that mantra in our mind and work together with the artist to do the best that we could to co-create with the artists to facilitate their expression and to be part of our expression too. So that was what independent means to us still.
0: I don't want this to turn into a let's bash the majors at the expense of, you know, the Indies the indies are so great, which we are. But in the U.S. at least, as the landscape lies today, there are three major labels and they're all international conglomerates owned by foreign entities, right? So none of them are actually owned by United States citizens for whatever reason that maybe it's for better or for worse but they also all report to boards of shareholders. And I think the bottom line, when you start to think about the word independence and the philosophy of independence is when you have to report to a board of people, I think it always creates an arc that tends towards mediocrity, right? You're always going to smooth the edges. And the exciting part about being an independent label and having the independent labels that we do in the U.S. and here as well, is that you can sign artists and you can say, bring it on, like you were talking about Dr. G. I mean, what is it that you need to do? What is the art that's coming from your soul? We're here to facilitate that and help get that out. We're not gonna say to you, you know something? We could probably sell more units if you would maybe sing in English, you know? So I think that's, I think that's a huge part of the philosophy of independence for me.
5: I wrote something down, so. <laughs> I had three things, like, uh, like Stuart and Seb. You know, for me, being independent means nobody tells you what to do. You, know, you make your own creative decisions, you believe in your own vision, and you rely on your own entrepreneurial skills, uh, such as they are. You know, being self-determined is you know, another central tenet for me, seeing something that needs to be done and just going and doing it yourself, not waiting for someone else to do it or thinking that you, you, know, you won't be able to do it. And then lastly, being independent means you think for yourself you don't just settle for lowest common denominator you look for the adventurous you know you look for the exciting and, and look for the innovative
6: independent well you know look for me I think the lines between the word independent in you know as, as we know it as an industry are all getting blurred in recent times so it's probably going to be part of the discussion that we're going to continue on but from a an emotional point of view For me, it was when I decided that I wanted to, you know, embark on a career, you know, I stumbled across the music business and found that that place that I thought I could have a vocation in. And what was appealing about that vocation is that I was going to deal with people that wanted to do their own thing. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do my own thing. So I wanted to find a place where I could do my own thing with other people that wanted to do their thing. And that's what I've done. So being independent to me, is doing that. And as soon as anything interferes with that is where I think you lose your independence. But it's not independent that it's just what I want to do. It's how do I find my creativity to actually connect with someone else's creativity so that I can feel like I'm living a worthwhile life rather than I'm just part of an assembly line or something.
2: But there was two points there that, that I'll, I'll pick up on a little bit more. It, it, both Seb and, and Porsche mentioned that the evolution of what an independent label has been—that it, it's changed in that time—and and I think the, the old concept was that it was pretty simple. You paid for a record, uh, or you licensed a record. It came out of your bank account. You released it through a, a, an independent distributor, and, was, and there was a, it was quite a clear distinction between what an independent label was and what a major label was but now that's evolved and now there's hybrid models and there's, and there's different funding models that come for, for labels and there's different ownership structures, there's private equity and ownership in labels. Can we discuss a little bit about, about the, the concept of the independent label as that evolution and, and potentially crystal ball a little bit into the future? Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Portia.
0: Sure. I actually just did a panel at IndieWeek, which is A2IM's similar event to IndieCon, In June, where I talked to a bunch of financial planning type people, a banker and a guy who does, I can't remember what it's it's exactly, they help people find funding.
5: Is that an angel investor? Did he look like Captain America? He
0: did look like Captain America. You know that guy. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. He looked like Captain America and I was so distracted, I have no idea what he said. But he... (laughs) It was a fascinating panel because it brought something up that I think is very contrary to the way that we've normally thought about running independent labels, which is exactly as you said, it's like, well, I have this much money in my bank account, and as a result, I can help you to this extent, right? So a good example with my label is, is a band like the Decemberists. We took on the Decemberists in 2002. We reissued their first record, we put out their second record, and their third record sold 250,000 copies on an independent label. They were touring in a tour bus, and they'd been on our label for like three years. I mean, it was, it was just boom. It was one of those bands that was very clear about where they were going and, and this was happening. And then they moved, they went to Capital, they went to a major, and I'm sure they were offered a you know, multi-million dollar contract. Because, of course, at that point, we, as an independent, had, didn't have that kind of money. And I think now things are different because we could have kept that band had we been able to go to these private equity companies that are springing up all over the place and gotten an investment of cash. We could have kept that. There's no, In other words, you don't have to lose your biggest bands anymore in the way that we traditionally have. So looking forward to the future, I think that is something we can, we can hope for. And at A2IM, I mean, we have some of the biggest labels in America on our, I mean, Taylor Swift's label is an independent, so it's possible.
6: Sib? Where we are, you've got, you, you get a starting point today and you can have an artist that can afford to record their, their own repertoire. And in a sense, you've got to look at where uh, the concept of a, a modern label might sit, because we're starting from the fact that there's an empowerment, both in, you know, from an industrial point of view for recording and from distribution and from a whole lot of bunch of things where an artist can actually do it all themselves, for instance, and you start at that platform. Then you get... There's a lot of inefficiencies in that and it's a lonely place, being on your own. It's, it, it then starts... The negatives are that the artist is absorbed with elements of their career that don't actually contribute where their time should be spent, which is in, in the creation of the art. But as a starting point, I think now that we've got artists that actually start where independent record labels were the first to listen to a band and the first to put $5 into it when they didn't have it, now you have the starting point has moved, where an artist starts, a lot of times starts their own career themselves, and then they're looking for the partnership. And so, to me, the modern label has got to um, stand for something, and it's got to stand for something that appeals to us, to that particular artist's ethics and... and and vibe and what they want to do, so that there's a value that gets formed between them that is actually unique and necessary. Because if it's not necessary, that that one doesn't need the other, or or one is exploiting the other and not contributing, it's it's actually no reason for that relationship to exist and to actually mean anything. And I, I probably would say that it won't mean anything.
4: I find that really interesting because I know when I was signed to a label, I was so in the dark, I didn't know how anything worked. So I couldn't contribute, like, even though I'm on the road and I see what the flaws might be, I didn't know who to It wouldn't have occurred to me to tell anyone to fix this or help that, or like I was in Nottingham, where's the posters, you know, things like that. So one of the thing, when we were signing bands is to, is to be this, like, for this reason you needed to be needed to need each other to help each other we try to educate the bands about how to have a long career regardless of us so take ownership of, to, to the extent that they were ever interested like some, some bands can't focus on that kind of thing. But some people can, or maybe the bass player can. It's like, so we would get phone calls about this isn't being done properly, that's not being done properly, and we'd immediately act on them. So we wanted to empower the artists to have a career beyond us. And also one of the things that we believed in is the ethics, the transparency, and the visual, the strong visual identities. So the bands came to us. So like we've never actually gone to gigs and spotted bands and chased them and stuff. Bands have always come to us or through friends of friends because we stood for that kind of thing. And one thing that Portia was saying, sorry, <laughs> we, we were working with the band Pete and the Pirates, and we were sort of running out of money because it was starting to do really well, but we needed to get some more money. So we did sell some shares. We sh- sold a minority shareholding to another private person who's a manager but we were totally proud of that involvement that was Chris Morrison he used to manage Thin Lizzy and like a complete legend and an inspiring man then was managing Blur and Grace Jones at the time that we started working with him so partly he got a minority shareholding but he never interfered in anything we ever did but we went to him for knowledge and inspiration and ideas as well as he helped us financially
2: so he contributed more than just money yeah Yeah. totally. he was a partner in the business thing
4: yeah but he he always said he was a silent partner like you had to you know go to him and ask he wouldn't interfere in any way he said you're doing the right thing you keep doing what you're doing i'm not interfering With anything you're doing you just come to me if you need any help or any introductions like so he accessed us all these incredible people but he also helped us financially at a time where pete and the pirates is tipping over to this like out of control sort of monolith that you're trying to wrestle with and i remember at the time as well distributors like they're trying to get you to stay independent too, so they don't lose you as well to a major. And that's when they started setting up Integral, you know, Integral or whatever it was that then became Co op and that kind of thing.
5: I mean, it is pretty clear, I guess, that you know, the internet is really confused what, uh, what being independent means. You know, for a lot of people, like from Chapter Music's perspective, you know, I guess we can straddle two kind of different eras, you know, starting in the early 90s when there were independent distributors that, you know, never touched kind of a major but still. You know, managed healthy sales, and then obviously, you know, there was no iTunes, there was no Spotify. But when we started dealing with digital, we, you know, we, of course, kind of signed up with the Independent Online Distribution Alliance, you know, which was kind of, you know, seemed like the obvious thing for an independent label to do. It's like a, you know, independent, digital aggregator. But then the Orchard bought it, and then you know, the you know, Orchard was initially part owned by Sony and now full owned by Sony. But what I have to say about that is that when we were through through IOTA, I had no contact with any sales reps. We just sent them stuff, you know, sent CDs off to America so they could upload it to the internet. And, you know, as soon as The Orchard came along, you know, suddenly I had an account rep, you know, someone who was talking to me, calling me. You know, I had personal service. Like the the experience of dealing with The Orchard was was like quite a huge step up you know, from what it had been before. So, like, the question is, I guess, how much does it matter that your supply chain or whatever your distribution chain is 100% independent? What are you comfortable with?
0: Well, and also on that note, I was telling someone last night, I think I was telling Henry, who actually works for The Orchard, that I, my first in involvement with The Orchard was when they were on, the, on Orchard Street in a tiny little hole in the wall. So it's, you know, the history of the last 20 years of the music business has also changed what independence means because a lot of these companies did start out independent, you know, so it's not, it's not, as, it's not cut and dried, really. You
2: know. Definitely. So there's been centralisation, but there's always new models popping up. Well, I don't
3: think it's going to get any
2: less complicated, the blurring that independents
3: will still want to engage with investors and with majors at all different levels. But uh, I think the something that Seb touched on in, in his keynote, that the barriers to entry have come down as labels were spending less on marketing and on recording. And that. I think, allows new independents to, to come in because it's not as expensive to run a label. What that independent label looks like, obviously there's a tendency towards more label services. Again, the barriers to entry are low, artists can afford to record, and then they're looking for different models to how to exploit that. So label services rather than ownership models may well be the way that independents go. Yeah.
0: You're No Rock and Roll Fun by Slater Kinney? If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Want an even closer look at issues we talk about on the show? Our monthly newsletter will keep you informed about news, upcoming events, episodes, and more. You'll also have access to exclusive offers and behind-the-scenes looks. Sign up at killrockstars.com slash what and win a Future of What t-shirt. You're listening to The Future of What. This is a panel that took place at IndyCon in Australia. The moderator is Matt Rogers from Unified, and the speakers are Merida Sussex of Stolen Recordings, Chris Mond of Mushroom, myself, Guy Blackman of Chapter Music, and Seb Chase of MGM.
2: I guess we'll move from there on to more of the practical elements of independence. And I think this is, this is potentially going to be... Uh, I said that uh, maybe by the end of it we'll be able to reach consensus on what we believe is the true definition of independent labels. I'll start by giving some ideas of what, how different trade bodies around the world define independence, because as you'll start to see, there are a few similarities, but everyone has a different take on what independence is. A2IM in the US define independence as labels that own or control 50% or more of their copyrights. So very, very simple, but it's ownership of the copyrights, not the company. AIM in the UK, an independent music company, is one which is 50% or more not owned by a major label, being Warner, Sony or Universal or any of their affiliates or subsidiaries. It is permitted for AIM members and member companies to have deals with majors, including joint ventures, but the AIM member must own at least 50% of the company to meet our definition of independent. In Australia, independent record labels means any person, partnership company or other trading entity in the business of the creation, distribution sale and or other commercial you can tell this has been drafted by a lawyer commercial exploitation of sound recordings whose place of business and majority beneficial ownership is held within australia and which entity does not control more than five percent of the world markets for the sale of sound recordings did, did you forget the beginning no idea the what
0: yeah I lo- you lost me after like the 16th <laughs> word
2: i love that the americans are the simplest like if you've ever looked at an american recording agreement they're never the simplest Impala is about 300 words long and maybe about a page, but it has some key points. Uh, it talks about the possessing less than 5% of the global market share in the recorded music market or music publishing market. They're considered independent. So each member shall declare that no major controls it directly, so it's, it's on the, an obligation on the label there to declare their independence. My takeaway from all of those and, and reading a whole lot of them was that There's about four similarities, less than 5% market share, so we've drawn an arbitrary line in the sand. Some have 10%, some have 5%, so there's a a literal line in the sand that we've drawn. That line appears to denote small or scale of the company. The member must own at least 50% of the company. It's locally owned or operated, and it is not a major. Does anyone want to comment? I've got some interesting thought, like observations from those four points that obviously with the last one, and we're defining ourselves as something we're not as opposed to defining something that we are. i would throw to the panel here to, to share some thoughts on those.
5: I mean, are, there, are there labels, people in the audience might know this too, like who have more than that 5% share that aren't you know, Sony, Warner, that you know, aren't the three majors? You know? Well, the interesting what, one for what, me what? Is,
2: is Warner is independently owned. It's owned by one single person, so it's that's. Are they a big independent? If they, if if our definition is that five percent line, they're over
5: that. But yeah, like, what are the labels that are there? Other labels that we would have thought of as independent that don't meet those criteria?
4: Yeah, I thought that was psychologically limiting. Like, why, why should that be a goal to not overreach that? You know, like, what's wrong with that ambition?
3: Yeah, Except for the larger you get, the issues that face you are, are different to the issues that face the common, smaller, independent label.
2: Yeah, definitely. The the label that is started in their bedroom and, and runs out of their bedroom is definitely different to a beggars group or a PS that have a global operation and a global... I don't know if they have a board of directors, those companies, but they have, they're still independently owned.
4: But Martin Mills has such a strong ethos at the top of that, that is independent. So I thought that was one a guiding light like I think there should be hurdles to ownership I think there should be like sort of areas I know we talked about this when I was on the aim board with the aim awards it's like what qualifies as independent is someone more independent or less independent you get tied up but there should be hurdles but ultimately it's about the artist as co-creator or you know you're enabling the artist development those sort of higher order like driving forces seem to be, I mean, after you've fulfilled certain criteria, but not, not ambition
2: shouldn't be. So there should be a, an element of the philosophical mixed with the practical for our definition of independence?
4: Yeah, <laughs> an ideal, a vision. You know, but not restricted by market share. And but it's difficult. Like we had loads of meetings with distributors, and you didn't want to walk in. Like with ADA, were great. We had great chats with them and Pias and stuff. You don't want to feel yourself limited in, in a business sense. But in the end, we felt more. We were at home, really, with Pias as an independent. Like it's where we belonged. It's where the labels we admired were were there as well. Four AD and Beggars and everyone. You know, Bella and all that stuff.
5: I mean, the thing that I think about is that like major or independent, most of the time, you know, the kind of and the ponytailed, cocaine-snorting kind of cliché people are gone because, like, music industry has gone through so many upheavals that the only people left are people who have a passion for music, you know. So independent or major, like, I'm a fiercely independent-minded person running a label for 25 years, but, like, you know, like, there's no, no enemies and there's no, you know, like, I feel like
6: the only people left are people who are doing it for the right reasons. From my own experience, you know, I'm relating my sense of independence to how I see it from Australian perspective. So independents were usually small record labels that had virtually no distribution, limited, did it themselves, as I was saying before, and the, and the multinational record companies were represented as the majors. So in the psyche or the, you know, of, of, the, of the national understanding, it was the, the bands that actually funded their own recordings And co-opted with an independent distribution mechanism were considered independent and the bands that got signed to a major were considered major so we had a very clear distinction for quite a long time when air was started the first thing that air put into place was the air chart and there was a reason for that hardly any of the creators that were active in terms of record labels and even individual artists would appear in any chart because the chart was dominated by majors, and I'd go, I'd look now, and if you see any chart, you won't see, you know, in the main charts, you won't see anything other than Sony, Warner's, and Universal, and week after week after week after week. Now, you might say, okay, what does a chart mean? But I think, you know, the independent sector, when the air did its chart, it was actually, had a a huge effect on how artists felt, they had had a, a reference point of their own that measured their success in relative terms, to the big powerhouse, and it was understood that if you you know there was a, a chart of relevance that the, that the independent in, industry could relate to and and associate with now i 'm still i, I think it 's a conundrum of, of what we, you know what we 're talking about is the, the lines are so blurred and it is going to be difficult but i 'm still anchored just as a personal choice on the idea that There should be a recognition of any enterprise that it's actually taking on everything from the start to the finish with its own um, infrastructure from woe to go. So I believe that independent distributors should still be there, being independent distributors, and I think they're vital. I think independent labels that are independent labels in the true sense of the word of 100% to me means they own the label and they own the copyrights or They're working with the copyrights of the artist. That, to me, is symbolically what I still consider to be an independent initiative. And so, for instance, in the air chart, which I I think there's talk about taking it out, I wanted to have the 100% indie, for instance, because when the chart started to accommodate a lot of other labels that weren't 100% independent... Now, I understand that those labels did have a sense of independence. You know, they they, they did risk their life and limb, and time and money, to invest in their belief and their dream and their ambition. And so they had an entitlement that you can't deny. That It was equivalent to mine. So I couldn't deny that. But I also did want I I still feel that there's a need for the independent associations to have some form of recognition for those artists, particularly it's going to be your bedroom artists who have their own labels. And why shouldn't they be represented somewhere, somehow. And that's I think that becomes the, the associations that were, that were formed to help the environment should have regard for that. Otherwise, they're, they're actually saying, we're moving away from you. We've become too big for you. you know, you're not relevant to us anymore. So that's a statement that I don't think should be made by those associations. But the truth is that the ability for if, – if, if someone's taking a risk like a small label and then they you know, they go and co-op with a di- distributor who now, now has been, last week was owned by an indi- individual and this week it's just been bought by Sony and The Orchard is a perfect example of a company that was independent but now is owned by a multinational without question. And you say, OK, well, is that independent? you know so But a client that's coming through that system is actually risking their life and limb just like I am. So I, I actually have to accept that they're entitled to get through the night, <laughs> just like I am, you know? Oh, when you end up, you know, on iTunes,
5: on Apple Music or Spotify, I mean, like, you know, the, the end result is on some platform that is huge and multinational and corporate. And so, I mean, if you're independent, does it matter if you're going through a major label to get to something which is basically another version of a major label anyway? I mean, I mean, that's what, where you want to end up. You want to want to get on those front pages, I mean, so. Yeah, like I don't think independence is threatened by having distribution through a major channel because because you you know you're just talking about f- Spotify anyway.
0: Well, it's not unless the major then uses your market share to pump up its own numbers, which is what we have in America and that's a problem.
5: Sure. Talk to me more about that.
0: Sure. That's I mean that's that's what we've found in the past is that let's say RED or ADA will use the indie labels that they distribute you know Sony and Warner will use those numbers when they say, when then they make public statements going forward and saying we are however many percentage of of the the music industry and then that diminishes the presence of the indies you know what I mean? It gives them more power to negotiate with the services and that's why at A2IM we spend a lot of time trumpeting the actual market share of the indies so that we have Similar negotiating power when we come to the table.
5: Sure. I mean, or I can totally appreciate that. Yeah. I
3: was going to say just how narrow the definition of a major seems to turn on the reason that you ask it. In a lot of the examples you read out, it was all for the purposes of joining a trade organisation. If you look at it from an eligibility for an award ceremony, it seems that the indie community decides that the definition is a hell of a lot narrower. And then when we go to having a look at the definition for the purposes of the size of the independent sector, then it seems the definition gets broader because, of course, it's got more value for our negotiation with DSPs or for lobbying the government. So it seems to me that
1: the definition
3: changes depending on the reason that you're asking the question in the first place. Very
2: true. I guess there's some some slight grey area ones as well. I mean, I think that the... The concept of, of ownership is is definitely something that it turns on here and, and you 've got with the ownership structures and the investment structures that are coming about now, there are companies that are very clear motivations on on what they would do, and you potentially say that they may not be motivations that are synonymous with the independent community i 'm not going to cast dispersions on companies, but there, but there are certain companies that you that we 're seeing now that are heavily invested and investing in in buying catalogs and they have very, very large investment funds to buy catalogs and, and build up their market share. But it, it, it turns on that point there, when we use them as our conversation piece, uh, take BMG or, or, or Cobalt or Concord, these companies, we use them as part of our conversation to show, show how much the market share we have in the independent sector, but then we may not, allow, we may not see them as being similar to what we do as, as being independent companies. Where does that? Where do those grey area companies kind of fit? I mean, I I'm, I'm not sure if Richard or Paul want to mention about whether, how they deal with it in their trade associations, but they're friends of air in, in, in most cases in Australia, those companies, as opposed to being members because they're not Australian-owned companies. But how do we see those companies as part of our independent community?
3: I think it's... Obviously, it's not as simple as indie or not indie. I think it's, it's a bit like the political spectrum. You have left-wing government, you have left-wing parties, you have right-wing parties, you now have a whole lot of parties that sit somewhere in between on the spectrum. And I think it's similar with independence. You have independent labels, bedroom operators that have absolutely nothing to do with a major. They are definitely very indie. Then across the, the right you've got major record companies and then there's a vast spectrum in between of independent labels that use majors for for various reasons. The mushroom group only uses it for physical distribution, so I would put us more towards the left side of the spectrum. BMG and well particularly BMG who's owned by Bertelsmann, so I don't see that really as that much different to Warner. They operate like a big multinational. Surely they would be at the right side towards so less indie. So it's not a question for me of whether they're indie or not. It's a question of how indie they are. And I would say something like yeah. BMG is not very indie.
4: It's like food specifications like it gets really crazy like do you need a you know a printout on the back of a CD like what percentage independent you are.
1: Coming up, from, coming, up from, coming up coming up coming up, coming up,
0: behind. That was Coming Up From Behind by Two Ton Boa. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Braunohler wanted a face towel with his face on it? Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail-order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What. This is a panel that took place at IndyCon in Australia. The moderator is Matt Rogers from Unified, and the speakers are Merida Sussex of Stolen Recordings, Chris Mond of Mushroom, myself, Guy Blackman of Chapter Music, and Seb Chase of MGM.
2: I want to go into one final point, and I'd love to talk about the strength and unity for independence. We've got a, now a, a number of international organisations that work uh, and, and organisations that are joining together and, and strongly working for independent companies WIN, Merlin, AIR, A2AM, and the various activities that have been undertaken to help the Indies not be trampled on, I guess. I realise this point's a little self serving because I sit on the WIN board, but, but I'd like to, uh, if you want to share your experiences of, of seeing what the value of independence coming together and sharing information as opposed to working in a silo as being. I,
4: I had a total epiphany about Ames value to us, to our label. The morning I got the phone call saying Pinnacle's gone under, your distributor's gone into administration. Like what? We've got a record coming out on Monday. What does that even mean? And I started calling people. It was it was so intense and had such a cold feeling in my stomach. And that's when I joined AIM, I didn't really like. We were sort of just getting on with things. We were quite like, we were in Tottenham, based in Tottenham, so we were sort of just getting on, hanging out with our bands and doing our stuff and wheeling suitcases to Rough Train. But that's when I joined AIM, and to be together in a room with the 70 other labels that this had happened to, with a, a specially hired IP barrister that AIM had brought in to just talk us through the complications of the copyright and point of sale and, you know, that no one was guarding our stock, that we actually still owned, that was in the warehouse, just all the sort of, coming together like that made you feel less like crazy and desperate and more like that we were working on this together and helping each other together. And I mean, I went on to be on the board of AIM for four years and totally believe in that power together, you know. I
3: don't think there can be any better example of it than Merlin. The mushroom group has uh, been with them from the start and before, We were with them we were negotiating our own deals with dsps and as was touched on by seb earlier the dsps would do their deals with their majors and then they would send out their terms to the independents or some of the independents a lot of independents couldn't even get the terms sent to them but it was very much a take it or leave it situation and the terms were not as good and the through merlin the independent communities come together and to our knowledge we're getting parity deals with all the big DSPs, so I think it's an excellent example of it.
0: I think the change in the industry really helped foster in the U.S. the awareness of A2IM's importance because, you know, America is like the land of independence, right? For better or for worse, and we really were, I mean, Seb said in his keynote, I thought it was great, he said, independents work well together, and I was like, oh really? Not so much in America. You know, people like to stand apart and be like, but I'm over here and I'm doing it really differently because I'm an American. So there was a lot of resistance to A2IM 10 years ago when it, when it first came about. And I've, I've had hundreds of conversations with other labels about why should I join A2IM. But I think the funny thing is those conversations have stopped happening so much in the last few years because of Merlin and because of the change situation and because people are getting the, the picture that you know, there's just the way, where our income is coming from now is different than it used to be. You know, when it was all physical retail, you could just stand in Omaha, Nebraska, and be by yourself and do it your way. But now that it's you know, Spotify and Rhapsody and these, these big companies that we, we have to take very seriously but don't have access to, without joining a greater organisation. It's it's like now it's the organisation that sells itself.
2: I think the, the A2AM board is one of the most incredible diversity that I've seen sitting, sitting in that meeting. The A2AM board has, has everyone from Dave that runs the, the biggest punk rock label and our idol at our company, Epitaph Records, through to the uh, the CEO or COO of, of Big Machine, which is Taylor Swift's label. And, and and so the diversity in the people on that board is, is just incredible and the fact that they can come together with it a similar aim and a similar purpose it probably is is one of the most contentious conversations i'd say there, there would be a really amazing uh, board the the various opinions but uh, but the ability of it to come together i think is incredible
5: i took part in a program called release like, a few years back i think it was partly organized by air and independent new zealand independent music new zealand seb was one of the was one of the speakers and and kind of mentors involved in that all the a bunch of different independent record labels kind of sequestered away for a couple of weekends in, in Terrigal, New South Wales. You know, just that, you know, that's, yeah, that sharing of information, and putting everyone in the same room, like, you know, kind of brainstorming and, and coming up with ideas, you know, was incredibly valuable. And, you know, that's, I mean, I guess for me, the independence idea comes back to a community, you know, it comes back to, you know, supporting a community, and that's also, you know, that's not just the musicians you work with as a label and and the scene that you, you know, that you might be part of, but it's also the the other independent labels that you're surrounded by, your your peers. So, you know, that always... Resonates with me as like one of the most valuable things that the air has done.
2: Thank you. I guess in in wrapping up, uh, I will throw to see if there's any questions in a second. I I've written down I guess some key phrases that I, I've taken out of today. That I guess they're both philosophical and practical for what I see uh, is the definition of independence. It's standing for something. It's autonomy. It's collaboration. It's avoiding mediocrity. I love that. Control, self determination, innovation, and a community. I think and and I I, I think that the last point that Chris made around that independents sit on it somewhere on the spectrum to the left maybe it isn't so bad that we say we're not majors maybe that it, it, that is what it's going to be that that we're a conglom we're a we're a grouping a community of very very disparate ideas and and and, and attitudes but oh, sorry disparate ideas and business structures but the attitude and the approach to business is the same
0: i i want to throw one more weird thing in the mix because i've been thinking about it since we've been talking about it And you guys can disagree with me, or anyone can disagree with me, but I I think when Marita said she wants to help educate her bands, right, about about the business part, and that's what I do, I mean, I think that's what we all do. It made me really feel like maybe one of the things about being an independent is that we also want independence for our artists, whereas I think in the major system, the word dependence, which is the opposite of independence is what I think of when I think of major label artists. Because you're basically locked in... I mean, you know how, how many artists have gotten their freedom from their major label deal? Do you know what I mean? And I think that that's a, a big part of it. I recently had a very distressing conversation with a guy who works at a major who shall not be named, who was talking about a young artist, 19 years old, that they were working with, and he was saying they've done so much with him, you know, they got him a team. A lawyer, a manager, a label. I was like the label got him a lawyer and a manager, I'm like, that is not how this works, right? I mean, that's, that, that puts that poor 19-year-old kid in a complete position of dependence with nobody on his side, right? I mean, in my mind, I, would, I wouldn't do that in a million years. My contract is four pages long and I tell everyone to get a lawyer to look at it. So I think that's another angle about this, you know? Is that we don't want dependence from our artists, we want independence.
2: On that note, Thank you to the panelists.
5: I'm making something important. Just give me a minute. I just need to finish this one thing. Just a minute or so is all I ask, and then I'll be right with you. Thanks for your patience. I know you understand what it's like when you get a good idea and you just have to follow it through while it's still in your head. There are seven deadly sins. How many non-lethal sins are there? I've been hearing about the wages of sin all my life, but I still don't know that much about those wages. Are they better than a farm boy's wages? Do deadly sins pay better than non-deadly sins, say, for instance, crippling sins? What about relatively harmless yet annoying sins? Do they withhold part of the wages of sin for tax purposes? What was that thing I was thinking before and I forgot?
0: That was Wages of Sin by Slim Moon. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Richard Burgess is the CEO of A2IM, which is the independent label trade association in the US. Richard, welcome back to the future of what?
7: Thanks so much, Porsche. It's always good to be here.
0: So, what we're talking about today is actually, it's funny the timing. I'm going to run on Friday, this Friday our panel from Australia's IndieCon, which you and I were both at, on understanding independence, which I thought was a particularly good panel in terms of what came out of that. I thought that was great, the definition of what various people in the independent music sector think independence are. And then, lo and behold, there was a piece in Billboard this week called The Indie Power Players. Yeah. (laughs) And it's... It was a great article and had a ton of our friends and people that we work with and our board members in it, which was great. But there was one one piece of it that was kind of problematic, which was that not everyone that they mentioned was someone that we, as uh, A2IM, would consider independent. So can you speak to that briefly?
7: Sure. And, you know, as I said in the response to Billboard, which they graciously published, and I was very grateful for that, you know, it's nice when it, when an organization is big enough to publish a counter view that you know these people are friends of ours. You know, they're, they're, in many cases they're members of HYM as associate members, and we honor them at the Libera Awards, as you well know, because they are great friends of the independent community, and so I, I get why billboard wanted to include them because they are, they do a great deal for the independent community. The problem is terming them independent. They're not independent. They are wholly owned subsidiaries of the major labels, which are, as I pointed out, foreign owned conglomerates. And although, you know, many independents work with them, more than 50% of independent labels work with one or other of these major owned companies, they're not independent in and of themselves. You know, their checks are cut by Sony Universal or Warner, and the company is 100% owned by Sony Universal or Warner. Right. So really, it's a technicality, I suppose, but but nonetheless, I think an important one. Right. And an existential one for the independent community.
0: And I thought the point you made in the article that was really perfect in your response was that, you know, really, it's an it's an issue of giving the independent community, we are the ones who should be allowed to define what is independence.
7: Well, as you all know, in anthropology and ethnomusicology, it's known as colonialism when, you know, <laughs> an outsider comes into a community and decides, oh, well, you know, you can't call that tree what you've been calling it for 10,000 years. No, we're going to call it an oak tree, you know, or something. And, right. and uh, you know, it's, it's just disrespectful to the communities. And I think... I think generally as as a society, we've kind of moved away from that. You know, I, I grew up in New Zealand. I was just in New Zealand, and they've, they've done a very good job of restoring a lot of original Maori names and so on and so forth and Maori traditions and terms and some of the lands and those kinds of things. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but they've done a pretty good job of moving in the the right direction there. And this is really just another example of that type of thing. It's important that communities should be able to come up with their own terminology and their own definitions of who they are and who they want to be and how they want to be perceived.
0: Exactly. And I think I was searching for the word agency. You know, we need agency in our own business models here. And what is our definition, the A2IM definition of independence?
7: I've kept it really simple. I think it, you know, there is an argument for a more legalistic terminology, which I know Impala has. But basically, uh, all I've said is you have to be 50% or more owned independently, and th- th- there's another part of that. The uh, other trade associations around the world have, have said, which is you can't have more than 5% global market share. I personally don't share that view. I don't see why an independent couldn't have greater than a 5% global market share. It happens to be true right now that no independent does have a greater than a 5% global market share, but I could easily see a day when there could be a very large independent. And I don't think that it should be true that that independent would then suddenly become a major i don't know why that would make them a major I mean, major is to do with you know the, the the ownership by you know an international conglomerate and, and currently foreign owned they're all foreign owned
0: right and it's interesting because it's possible that that definition is a little bit out of date because I don't, you know, no one ever can predict how things are going to go in the music industry. And you know, when I think about A two I M members like Big Machine, who have Taylor Swift and Florida Georgia Line, and these bands that are absolutely massive, you can totally see how they might someday have more than five percent market share.
7: Absolutely, beggars banquet. You could. There's oh, a lot. Sure. I mean, and then you've got you've got the new organizations coming along that are independent, but they're acquisitionals. I mean, we've got Concord, for one, that's acquiring labels at a pace, and you've got Cobalt, you've got BMG. There's nothing that doesn't make them independent about the fact that they're acquiring labels and growing the organization. They're growing you know, both organically and by acquisition. So, you know, I think we'll have to keep revisiting the definition as we go along, and it's not going to be entirely up to me, that's for sure. But currently, that's where it stands. And I would love to see the independents have a much, we just saw our market share grow, by the way, and the latest billboard reported 37 point something percent, which is up fully 2 percent from The last number we saw, which was 35.1. Wow. So I think it's quite conceivable we could see the independence above 50% in the next five to 10 years. And I don't see any reason why we couldn't have a bigger global market share because of what streaming is doing, how streaming is transforming our industry. Exactly. The independence used to always struggle with international distribution, but now distribution is tending towards global. It's much easier. We've seen the independents uh, growing to sort of 10% market share in uh, Brazil, for instance, which we, we never had before.
0: Wow. Richard Burgess is the CEO of A2IM. And Richard, it's always a delight to talk to you and have you clarify stuff for us on the future of what?
7: Delight to talk to you, Porsche. always. Thank you so much.
0: And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Slater Kinney... Ton Boa, Slim Moon, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week.